We started this section a couple weeks ago asking the question, what kind of video should you make? And honestly, that's just a, a stalking horse for lots of other questions like what kind of social posts should you make? What should you put on the job posting? What should you put on the career site? What sort of, uh, I don't know, anything should you do? What kind of content should you produce? And it's a tough question, but all the things we've talked about, the architecture, the hierarchies, the structure, the EVP, you know, all that stuff is how we answer that question. So in a way, what we're going to talk about today is how you make decisions with the EVP, how you make decisions with all this architecture. And that's what we're going to talk about when we get right back. Hey everybody, James Ellis. Welcome to the Talentcast. It is season two, so that means we are podcastimifying the audio bookified, updated to book talent chooses you. I promise you, these are words. I'm a professional. So uh, yeah, welcome. This entire season is brought to you by RecruitmentMarketing.com. They sponsor the entire thing. They're bringing it to you for free, uh, and we thank them for that. They are the, by the way, if you don't know them, the community for recruitment marketing professionals. Go check them out. Go sign up. They got lots of free information and content. Definitely worth looking at. Also, they also do a couple of Ask Me Anythings, and I think by the time you hear this, there may be one or two left that we're doing, that we're scheduled for. So go sign up, and then you can ask me, quite literally, anything. And, you know, let your mind go crazy. What do I care? Uh, also, I have a newsletter. It's Employer Brand Headlines. So if you go to employerbrandheadlines.substack.com or just go to employerbrand.news, it is my way of trying to create a million employer brand thinkers. We want to get more recruiters, recruiting leaders, uh, sorcerers, uh, chief people officers, directors of talent. All we want, all these people to think more about employer branding or to use employer branding as a means to think. So that's really what the mission is. We're all about making people think better with employer brands. So if that sounds like something you should check out if you haven't already, go take a look. It's employerbrandheadlines.substack.com or employerbrand.news. It's free. So there you go. So let's get into it. The section is called Making Decisions with Your Architecture. Now the question was, as you remember, what kind of video should you make? No, we didn't forget the question. But now, finally, at last, luckily, we actually have a means by which we can answer this question. Now most talent teams skip past breaking down their architecture and try to skip what they think is the obvious answer. And that's a mistake. They often get halfway through the content strategy process only to realize how much they don't know, both what their options are and what stories they want to tell. Not to mention what candidates might want to see, right? They skip to the end and lose the plot completely, often having wasted resources and political capital in the process. One of the biggest stumbling blocks I see is that there is that, what's the Mark Twain quote? It's not so much the thing you know or don't know that gets you in trouble. It's the thing you are certain you are know that you don't know at all. That's the thing. Words are non-monogamous. They have lots of different subtleties and meanings. If you've decided that your employer brand is all about being bold and good on you, that sounds like an interesting one, that's not enough. You need more information. You need to complete the architecture. You need to put all the, fill in all the gaps. If you just say, 
hey, we're bold. What what do we mean by bold? Do we mean bold like a ruler, a king, or queen? Do we mean bold like an adventurer, like an Indiana Jones is bold? Do we mean bold like a jester or a comedian? Right? Do we mean bold like a lover? Do we mean bold like a? I and mean, there's so many different ways to apply the word bold. Just and that's just using an architectural model, not an architectural, an archetypical model. You can use all sorts of different ways of looking at it. You know, you can be bold like an asshole. Or you can be bold like a like someone who's daring. Those are not really the same. And if you think you all know the same things, and these things are so obvious, not writing them down means you're going to get in trouble because it turns out not everybody has the same perceptions, the same understandings of these ideas. So do you interview the CEO to get their views from the leader's chair? Good, hmm, possible. Do you interview the staff about why they work here? What do you ask them? Do you show them working or what kind of work? Should you show when things are getting tough? What about when they get messy? Or do you focus on when they're building something with a polish of a 30-second TV spot? What kind of music should you use? Should you even have music in your video? What kind of pacing? Is it fast jump cuts or slowly let people see what's happening right in front of them and what feels like probably real time? Do you capture the holiday party or do you capture everyone walking into work on a Monday? You can say and you can show pretty much anything. So the question is, what do you build? So it's the same process as when someone asks you to write a bio or a dating profile. You know who you are, and, and you know we all know you're a delight, you know, we get that. But how do you package up your 20, 30, 40, 50 years of life into a few sentences? How do you take the work of dozens or hundreds of thousands of people who are very different and have different understandings and perceptions and distill them into a concise message of 30 seconds, a minute, this is usually what drives the preponderance of glossy videos that don't seem to say anything. No one really knows what to say. And they end up building up video because they think they should, and they build it on top of a non-existent foundation. It becomes a glossy brochure for a product that doesn't really exist. It's hollow. It's, it's useless. Now, this isn't my chance to knock around boring career site videos. That is literally a book's worth of information. And maybe I'm not the person to do that because probably some of my videos have not been killer. But we need to use that same discerning eye to everything we do. Your tweets, your Instagram posts, your job posts, your, the letter from leadership on your career site, that hiring event, job postings, and, and the career site itself. So by now, you need to realize that whatever the choice, it needs to be intentional. It should reinforce a core message about why people might like to work here. An idea that they can see reflected in dozens of other ways on dozens of other platforms. That's proof. That's credibility. That's authenticity. If I tell you I'm funny and you're not laughing and no one has ever been around me laughing, guess what? I don't know that you're going to believe me when I say I'm funny. But if I am surrounded by people who are laughing, if people talk about me as, oh, have you, the he's really funny. Whatever that is, you start to believe these ideas. But rather than cast about blindly for something that sounds good, and my goodness, that is way too common. I mean, way too common. You need to be looking at your architecture to tell you what messages and videos and tweets and whatever you should be building. Like a physical architecture, the foundation determines what you can build on the space. If you have a thin foundation, welcome. You're going to build a one-story bungalow. Nothing wrong with that, but it is its own thing. But if you spend the time and money to drop reinforced pillars well past the frost and water lines, now you have room to build something more closely to a skyscraper. The architecture feels abstract and academic. 
and I get that. And that's why people don't like to do it. It's kind of like being shown backstage to see how the magic trick works, right? It's like seeing the strings in the puppet show. And, and once you know how the trick is done, when you see the mechanics that drives those choices, yeah, maybe there's a little less magic, but suddenly you can start to do it on your own. You can build your own, and that's where the fun is. It feels abstract, it feels academic, but ultimately it's there to help you create choices. So going back to the question of what video to make, let's look at the what the architecture says. A video is a tactic, which means we're going to start at the bottom and look at the bottom of that framework. The decisions around what kind of video you should build starts by looking upwards. What's the brand promise? Any video you build should connect and reinforce the brand promise, whatever that is. I mean, is it, is it important to show off your pretty new office when your messaging and your purpose and your intention is to explain how working here will make someone's life better by giving them the opportunity to push themselves and do their best work? Maybe. Maybe if your brand promise was to provide a supporting working environment, that video of the cool office makes sense. It supports a core idea. It can be actually effective instead of just being puffery. So where does the brand promise come from? It comes from the employer value proposition, the thing that the a value that the employer offers. Do you just offer salary? Do you offer stability? Do you offer the support of a team or a company? Is it connection to a mission? Is it opportunity to grow? Is it opportunity to test yourself? The value your company is offering to candidates determines the brand promise, which determines the content of your message. See how this works, right? It's kind of like that old chestnut about how the maximum size of intercontinental missiles was determined by the size of ancient Roman chariots, which, by the way, is uh, apocryphal. But the thinking and the, 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 the myth, I guess, the story is the chariot width determines the size of the roads that the Romans would build, many of which got converted to rail lines, which is the means by which you move those missiles around. So therefore, you can't have missiles bigger than that space it can use to be moved. What, what good is a, is a missile you can't put into place if it's too big, right? So as the missiles and massive tech move forward by rail, you just can't build anything bigger than that. Thus, the standard train tracks, which are based on Roman uh, chariots, that's where that foundation works. Again, it's apocryphal, but you get how this works. Foundational decisions have long-lasting and long-ranging impacts. Don't kid yourself that you can just skip past it. So we continue up the framework and we can see that the EVP is a function of your brand position, which is itself based on the culture, the industry, and the competitive set. Follow these things further up and farther up the chain and you'll see where the leaders and the values start everything off. So what does this all mean? It means that the employer brand professional who spends time and energy to understand each element in the architecture actually is better positioned to know exactly what video to make, what to tweet, what to share, because they understand where foundational decisions come from and what foundation they're building on. They can see how the culture drives the brand. They can see what the impact a new leader might make. They can see the strings and therefore they know how to make the puppets dance and not just wiggle around. Some people say or you know, talk about this idea that the brand is what they say it is or what Glassdoor says it is or what ratings say they are. And that's like thinking that when you turn the, turn the tap on, the water just happens. That it isn't based on millions of specific decision-driven decisions, some of whom are literally, literally decades, if not a century old. To them, employer brand is just turtles all the way down. But now, 
having seen this architecture, having seen this structure, having seen all these frameworks and how each piece builds on the others, you know better. Understanding each piece will probably feel like busy work. I know. I get that. I've done it. I promise. That is the slog. That is the stuff you're like, oh, why am I even doing this? You have to know. And if you do it once or twice, you'll realize that this is the process. The more you do it, the properly you do it, it'll better arm you for decision-making processes down the road. You will be better armed to have a conversation with marketing or comms or recruiting or leadership to say, this is why we talk about this and this is why we won't talk about this, right? If you don't 100% own LinkedIn, for example, you're going to have these fights where some leader says, hey, I want to post this story about how we were in this thing. Well, cool. That's great. But how does it support the larger picture? How does it actually inform? Or is it just stuff you're putting there to make, your, make somebody feel good or look good, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Play a, play a political game all you like. But if you don't have all the work done in this space, you are simply fighting a fight of, I don't like that, or I don't think we should. You don't have the tools to defend against these decisions. And ultimately, since they're higher up the chain and better paid than you are, their decisions will always win. They are the hippo. You've heard the, I think we've talked about the higher paid person's opinion, right? They always, the hippos always win. Hippos always win until you have better information. And by doing the work, you are effectively saying, I have committed to these ideas. I am committing to a concept called employer brand that, let's be fair, no one else in the company gets nearly as well as you do. Now, that's both a positive and a minus, right? It is a positive because you are, the, you are the expert at this. The minus is they think it's a thing. It's not a really important thing. They, they can just bypass you. They can just skip past you. The hard work forces them to reconsider. They can't just reject your ideas out of, out of hand. Deep understanding of the architecture sets you up for success down the road. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. So we're going to wrap up this chapter here. It took me a very long time to realize why there's such a close relationship between content marketing and employer brand. Now, I come from a content marketing background personally. That is where I kind of went, where the lights turned on for me. I was a marketer, but I was just kind of doing stuff and flopping about and flailing around, maybe possibly like some of you are. And I, trust me, I remember those days very well. Content marketing was the thing that I went, okay, this could be better. This could be different. There are ways to do this that make more sense. Now at the time, content marketing, which is I guess the term itself is probably less than a decade or a little more than a decade old, was a kind of reaction to a world that defined marketing as advertising, where where they only cared about how many ads they could push out and what the cost was for those ads. 
It was a world dominated by cost per thousands impressions rather than anything of real value. I can buy impressions all day long. Trust me, they'll all be from some country you don't know the capital of, but they're impressions. That's what you want, right? Not so much. And, and honestly, if you go look at the work of Bob Hoffman um, and his newsletter, Ad Contrarian, um, which is tremendous, he has done so much work to bust down all of the thinking around it's all about impressions and we can buy impressions. And the truth is, yes, you can, but there's no value in what you just bought. No one's spending any time differentiating the products or the use cases. It was all just brute force attached to our, you know, getting people to think about our products using more and more ads. It was a world in which you needed money just to play. Now, in response for this pay-to-play model, content marketing said, if I have more time and creativity than money, what if I just said and told a compelling story that people liked to share instead? Rather than interrupting people with brute force messaging, what if I said something so interesting, so engaging, so compelling that they wanted to share that content, right? It's the whole purple cow model from Seth Godin or, or permission marketing. It's this idea that telling interesting, something so remarkable people share it on their own is far more powerful than stuff you pay for. Practitioners ended up finding a way to spell out clear and meaningful differences between the products so that prospects could decide which made the most sense. The best content marketers were the ones who could carve out a strange space between ad buyers and ad vendors, and while they had little to no power in the marketing world, they started to build a great deal of influence. Now, there's a great argument to be made that content marketing is just marketing. Hey, Nancy, how you doing? Um, and I buy it, and I completely buy it. But it's, you know, let's be fair, the zeitgeist of the time 12, 15 years ago was that content marketing is a brand new thing, even though everyone knew it's been happening for a very long time. On top of it all, content marketers are rarely in a position of power. If they write a compelling piece of content, they're never in the position, meaning they don't have the money, to force it onto people. They have to write something so good that people want it, right? that they desire it, which means that the game of cost per thousand impressions changes into, did the people who care about my stuff see this stuff? And suddenly, the parallels between content marketing and employer brand are obvious. And I bring this up to suggest that spending a little time around content marketers now and then is useful. In fact, it's invaluable. There are always great tricks to learn from, you know, from these kinds of people. These are, they are a little farther ahead in their journey of how to do some of this stuff, right? They know how to tell stories. They know how to get people to share stories. They know what content tends to work. There's a lot to learn. And I think when we use that time, we use that influence, we can get better at what we do so that we can build more compelling employer brand stories and creative ways to put them in front of the right people. All right, thanks for listening. Next week, we get into the section called Turning Pro. We're gonna get super deep on, not just on tactics, but the what does it mean to be a professional? What does it mean to do this job? Uh, it's gonna be fun. So I'll see you next week. Thanks, bye. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, 
Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.